Good evening. Welcome candidates, those of you who are in the audience here today, and those viewing at home. First, as a courtesy to those who are present, please silence your cell phones. This is the primary race candidate forum for, Demo for the Democratic nomination for State House District 89. Both candidates tonight are members of the Democratic Party. I'm Shannon Patrick, member of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County, and I'll be your moderator for this evening's forum. This forum is being live streamed on the League's Facebook page. It is also being recorded for rebroadcast on the three public education and government channels in Iowa City, Coralville, and North Liberty. Please check their websites for scheduling. Additional information about candidates may be found on the League's vote411.org website. The League of Women Voters is a volunteer, nonpartisan organization that neither supports nor opposes any party or candidate. Accordingly, we have the policy that campaign literature is welcome outside of this room following the forum, and no buttons, signs, or literature can be worn or distributed inside of this room. The League does take positions after considerable study of issues and acts to influence decision makers on those issues. We work not only to register voters, but also to provide them with information on issues and to assist their participation in government. Membership is to open to anyone 16 years of age and older. Join us. We can use your time, your talent, and your financial resources. League members advocate and inform voters. Democracy works best when more people are involved. Find us at www.lwvjc.org. The views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates. All viable candidates have been invited to participate. After candidates have been introduced, they will each have two minutes for opening remarks. We will then present questions to them, starting with one from the League, followed by one submitted on cards by you in the audience. League members are distributing cards and pencils for you to write questions on. You may submit as many written questions for the candidate as you wish. Hold up the cards, and a League member will collect them throughout the forum. Uh, they will then bring them to me to read. Questions that fall in the same general category may be consolidated. If time does not allow for all questions to be addressed, you may contact the candidates directly after the forum or at another time. Each candidate will have one minute to respond to each question. Due to the time frame, there will not be time for rebuttals. Near the end of the scheduled time for this event, each candidate will have two minutes for closing remarks. Speaking order will rotate throughout the evening. Mary Jo Langhorn, League member, is our timekeeper tonight. She will use cards to alert candidates when time is <coughs> up, uh, excuse me, when time is about to be up and when it is up. The primary election is scheduled for June 7th and early voting begins May 18th, two weeks from today. Requests, for, requests to vote by mail ballots are currently being accepted by the Johnson County Auditor's Office. We have two candidates running for one seat on the general election ballot for a two-year terms, Mr. Tony Curran and Ms. Eleanor Levin, are seeking positions on the Democratic ballot. One of these two candidates will advance to the general election in November. Audience members, please write your questions on, your, on the cards provided and pass them to a League member who will advance them to the moderator. Let's get started with opening statements. Please <coughs> speak directly into the mic microphone so that you can be hold, heard both here and by our audience online. Let's begin with your two-minute opening statements. Starting with you, Mr. Curran. Thank you. 
Mr. Patrick. Thank you, all of the participants and the audience here. Um, I was born in the year 1970 in Chicago, Illinois. And just 18 years later, 1988, I came to the University of Iowa to study opera theater. I was going to be a singer. I was going to be bigger than Simon Estes. Well, I ate and I got bigger than him, and I had to lose the weight. But <laughs> I fell in love with Iowa. Um, when people talk about Iowa nice, it, it's a cutting, it's a sword that cuts both ways. But um, I have to say, I have found the warmth and the safety that this state has brought to me is incredible. Unfortunately, um, there are things that have made this state less safe. Um, there are things that are happening that I cannot abide. I've been active in the Democratic Party for since 2008. 2018, I was, I started my first of three terms as the affirmative action chair, but that's not enough. We cannot continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. We have to send a different person forward to break the monopoly that is being expressed by the Republican Party. And where my opponent and I disagree on many things and agree on many, our approach is really the thing that's a little different. And I am an agitator, and I want to go, and I want to agitate. I would love to have your vote. And Ms. Levin, your opening statement. Thank you. Um, I'm an Iowan by choice twice over. I came here first to attend Cornell College, and uh, when I graduated wanting to live somewhere with a bookstore, I moved down to Coralville and Iowa City, um, and I just knew that this was home. This is where I belonged. This is where I found my community through groups like University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics Volunteer Services and Iowa City Community Theater. I fell in love and knew that this is where I wanted to spend my life. I'm a military spouse, which is not something I anticipated in my youth. And so we moved a couple of times. We moved to North Carolina and then to California. But the second we had the opportunity to choose where we were going to make our permanent home, we came right back here, where my spouse was able to attend medical school at the University of Iowa. And now he's back serving the Navy as a medical officer. But I chose to stay here. Not a lot of Navy in Iowa. But this is where I belong. And this is what I belong doing. I know that my compassion and my communication skills are the combination that is needed to make a change in the direction Iowa is headed. When I first moved here, we were seeing incredible progress in Iowa. We were the first state to legalize homosexual marriage. We were the first state to caucus for Obama. This is what got me energized to live here. And this is the type of progress we need to be seeing going forward. 
But we need legislators who aren't just going to be satisfied with spending their time in Des Moines getting told to sit at the back, that they're not welcome to meetings, that they're not welcome in the room. We need legislators who are going to talk to voters, who are going to make sure that things change so that voters see what state government could be doing for them so that we can get over this notion that less government is better government, that no government at all is somehow preferable to a functional, supportive government like we deserve. I'm Eleanor Levin. I'm seeking your vote for Johnson County's, for Iowa City's District 89 in the Iowa State House this spring. Thank you so much. Thank you. We will now proceed to questions. Questions include those offered by league members as well as questions from the audience. Recall that you have one minute each to respond. The first question is from the League of Women Voters. In recent years, we have seen the Iowa legislature challenge the principle of local control by limiting local ordinances and bringing forward legislation that impinges on local control. Speak to your views on the legislature and local control. I'll start with you, Ms. Levin. The government that is closest to the problem that can offer an effective solution is always those that should offer that solution. The state government should work in support of local government, not against local government. Local governments know what is best for their citizens and for their people. For example, if a local, uh, local government feels that it is appropriate to raise the minimum wage in a certain, let's say, county, the state government has no place stepping in and saying that that is not an option that they have. If a local government, want, such as a school board, wants to make decisions about their schools, the state government should only be stepping in to intervene if there is some sort of a safety concern or something that will impede the students' rights to education. Okay. All government should be done at the, the nearest level possible to those who are being served. You, Mr. Curran. Thanks. It is hard going after that. That was excellent. Um, I come from a labor background. I'm a teamster, okay? So my thought is it always needs to make sense. And um, Plain and simple, when you take someone like a Mayor Throgmorton, he doesn't have constituents. He has neighbors. When he stops being mayor, he still got to see all those people that voted for him and live amongst them. And that's where the power grab of Kimberly Reynolds is not applicable. And we are seeing a major transfer of power up to her, where you don't have the power to keep your community safe if your community says, my kids in the classroom need to be masked. We need to restore home rule. And we need to fight for that, as well as get more Democrats in power. Thank you. Our next question is from the audience. The state legislature allowed the state tax credits for solar power to expire last year. Do you support a state credit for solar? Why or why not? Mr. Curran. Thank you. Yes. 
We need to actually stop talking the talk and we need to actually do the walk. And the, the thing about it is most of the talk, really, and most of the hesitation is people trying to jockey and figure out how they are going to get their slice, their piece. We need to stop doling out tax credits for people that don't need them. And we need to actually invest in a viable future in our environment and be part of the solution for tomorrow. And we need to be forward thinking and we can do it. So we should do it. Get those tax credits. Thank you, Ms. Levin. I benefited from the Iowa Homeowner Solar Tax Credit. My spouse and I were able in uh, fall of 2018 to have nine solar panels put on our roof. And it was not cheap. <laughs> um, but, and, and we're not going to probably see a financial gain from that anytime in the next, uh, I think the estimate is 14 years. Um, but at the same time, we've seen our electricity use change dramatically, and it feels good. It feels like we are part of actually looking to having an Iowa where people are safe to live 20, 50 years from now. The fact is it took us two years to get that credit to go through because so many people wanted to take advantage of it. And there are a lot of people who applied for that credit who it never got funded to because it ran out before their turn came around. So we need to A, go ahead and fulfill the promise that was made to those folks when they originally applied for those solar credits. And then we need to extend the credits not only for the homeowners program, but also for the business program, which runs out for programs for projects that don't start until after this year. Um, I believe projects have to start by the end of 2022, by fall or winter of 2022, to be eligible for the business credit. Thank you. Next one is also an audience question. Uh, Iowa has amongst the worst water quality in the nation. What would your solution be to the water quality issue? Starting again uh, with Ms. Le Ms. Levin. Okay, <laughs> big question. Um, my solution, uh, well, okay, if we're gonna just try to, simple it to simplify it to one solution, it would be I need, we need to make sure that the Iowa DNR and ag boards have, are talking to each other and are working together and, and have united goals. We need to uh, fund, or we need to actually utilize the rubric that was put into place to define uh, natural resources goals for the state of Iowa. I am blanking on the name right now, but um, we need to ensure that we are listening to organizations like the Upper Midwest Region, um, Mississippi River Consortium, um, that are doing all of this great work to show us what we need to do, whether it's nitrates, whether it's lead, whether it's plastics in our water, these are all things that are gonna require a massive overhaul of how we're doing things. And we need to be putting the people who are doing the work in the room to decide how we come up with those solutions. Not just legislators who are concerned about protecting big business. Mr. Curran. Thank you. Don't worry about the name. <laughs> Seriously, because nobody's talking to anybody. They're locking 
actual duly elected officials out and making all the decisions themselves on the other side of the aisle. The slide that's not blue. So we have a myriad of things that we can do to actually push legislation forward to help protect against forever chemicals in our water, to actually go forward and do things. So to get some of that done, if I am lucky enough to get your vote and go forward, I propose to bring down their margins and to build up ours so even if we don't become the majority, eventually they have to talk to us. They have to have that conversation. And if we can get from making things a little less terrible legislation, a little less bad, to actually making good legislation, that's the direction Iowa needs to go. All right. Got myself wrapped up in the answers enough, I almost forgot if I was done with my question or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Uh, next one is from a league member. Um, many would say that Iowa has a workforce crisis despite our low unemployment rate. We see help, help wanted signs everywhere. We are creating a social environment that may not be friend, friendly to young people and could yield a significant brain drain from the state. What needs to happen in Iowa to address this workforce issue? Mr. Curran. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, you know, some people say if you have no children, you have no future. So we have an incredible resource here, um, but we never talk about it. We talk about all the things that we want to do into the classrooms, like uh, put in monitoring for the teachers. Um, we, uh, we want to force teachers to say things that aren't really true or to keep them from teaching things that are absolutely true. The biggest thing that I notice is absent is we're not talking about the students. We need to talk about the students. When we focus on the students, we're going to actually start to make programs that follow them to when they are young adults and making sure that there are opportunities for them and they will stay. I found my niche and I stayed, and they will too, if we make a groove for them. Ms. Levin. This is one of the reasons that I'm in this race. Um, I'm 34 years old, and the people around me on 10 years on either side who I know don't see themselves here in 10 years. They don't see a future for themselves here, whether it's because they don't believe there will be a job that will meet their basic needs or because they don't believe that they're welcome or because they don't see this as a place where they want to raise kids. For any number of reasons, my friends don't see themselves here in 10 years, and that is a tragedy. And it's also a crisis. <laughs> and so the fact is that we need to be incentivizing people to stay here in a number of different ways. We need to be utilizing things like loan forgiveness. Yes, we need to talk about the price of college. That is a discussion we need to have. But we also need to talk about the thousands of Iowans who are already burdened by unimaginable college loan debt that they can pay off a whole lot faster if they go somewhere else and make more money, especially if they move back to where their parents live and they aren't paying rent. 
especially as affordable housing becomes harder and harder to find in this area. I could go on and on. I won't. There are a lot of things we need to do to fix the workforce crisis. Thank you. Our next question is from an audience member. Industrial agriculture has become a real problem in Iowa. The industry says, we feed the world when we can't even feed our own community. Please respond to the overall issues. Ms. Levin. All right. Um, we have a, an odd existence here in Iowa where we talk a lot about farmers and we are represented by a lot of farmers, but not that many people in Iowa, at least in District 89, are farmers. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that a lot of farming in Iowa is done these days by corporate farms or by farms that are in crop deals or, or agreements with corporations. Um, and that's the first area that I would take a look at because farmers who I know, single farmers, people who have cared about the property and the land and the people that they're feeding, they grow a variety of crops. They take care of the land and they want it to still be fertile 20, 40, 50 years from now. And so really taking into account the ideas and goals of <coughs> sustainable farmers is a priority for me. Mr. Curran. You know, it occurred to me um, in thinking about this question, uh, about legacies. Because legacies inform you of how you got to the present, and they sometimes can show you where you're going or what trajectory you're on for the future. Uh, when I look at our blue side of the aisle, um, Harkin, Senator Harkin enjoyed an illustrious career and shaped so many wonderful things in our state like the CHIP program. Um, these are beautiful legacies to be left behind that we can build upon. Um, but there was, on the red side of the aisle, uh, Grassley. And he's still there today. A lot can happen in 50 years. I went from being a baby to being an old gray man. But the thing about it is, is that he and his whole party presided over the drain of the family farm and, uh, and turning it into agriculture, agricultural big ag. So we need to look at not continuing the same thing and sending different people if we want to change it. Thank you. Our next question again comes from an audience member. Uh, to both, what will you say when people throw the label socialist at you? Uh, Mr. Curran, you first, please. I like that word, socialist. I'm not really a real socialist. I just play one on stage when she's directing me. No, no, <laughs> she's never directed me on stage yet. But the thing that I have to say is there's the words social, society. There is a responsibility of government to society. We cannot ignore it. The fireside chats of Roosevelt said it, and we will do great harm to ourselves if we ignore the lessons we learned during that time. All those same problems are still here plaguing us, and we can't ignore it. We have to learn from it. They are 
our teachers, the greatest generation, the baby boomers, you guys are giving us a blueprint to go forward and build on it. And I have to say, pure capitalism doesn't work, pure communism doesn't work, pure socialism doesn't work, because nobody's pure. We have to blend. So I'm not afraid of a social, being a socialist, because I socialize. That was good. <laughs> Ms. Levin. Uh, I'm not super concerned with labels. I literally was in a conversation with a District 89 resident the other day in which I was called a totalitarian uh, utopian. Yes, that was it, a totalitarian utopian. Okay, uh, what are we talking about is, would be my response. What is it that scares you? What are your hopes? What are you concerned about when you say the word socialist? What is it that you are afraid of that causes you to bring up that term in particular. I think most of the time it's a fear that the middle class will lose out to continue to improve the lives of those who already have so much. And that's not, first of all, the goal of socialism. And second of all, it's certainly not my goal. And so I would have that conversation. I would ask, why do you raise that term? What, is, what are you afraid of that makes you raise that term? Thank you. Our next question, again from our audience. The Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe versus Wade and send abortion access back to the states. The GOP wants to ban all abortions and even put an abortion ban into the state constitution. Please respond. Ms. Levine. I wondered if this would come up tonight. Um, this is a simple question with a simple answer. In no other part of, in no other conversation, in no other discussion is bodily autonomy up for debate. We cannot force people in this country to donate organs against their will. We cannot force people in this country to give up their body for the betterment of someone else, even when they have, they are on life support. It is still not legal to force someone to give up their bodily autonomy. So what's the difference? when we're talking about a pregnancy, when we're talking about a fertilized embryo, when we're talking about a fetus. What's the difference there? Well, I think we all in this room at least know what the difference is. I've been very fortunate to never have to seek an abortion, but I've supported people who have. We never need to have the government in that decision-making process. Thank you. Mr. Curran. <clears throat> when you talk about removing autonomy, please understand we are talking about dehumanizing people and we're talking about making a second class citizen. So we're talking about all of the women that are below childbearing age, filled with the dread to come of the rest of their lives, and all of the women who are postmenopausal, living with the dread and the pain of the memories of what they were forced to go through. No, this is not going to stop abortions. The coat hanger solution was around before Roe v. Wade and will always remain. This is going to drive up death. And please understand that as an African American, Dr. Drew Hale 
invented the blood plasma system that saved so many lives today, but he was black. And because we, at that time, had a system that said blacks don't get the same access to healthcare, he bled out and died. He bled out and he died. They refused him access to healthcare. This is what we will do to women. We have time for one last question. This is uh, from a league member. In November, Iowa could become the fourth state to pass a strict, strict, excuse me, a strict scrutiny version of the Second Amendment, accompanying Missouri, Alabama, and Louisiana, which all rank in the top five of states with the highest rates of gun deaths. How will you encourage your constituents to vote, and why? Uh, and this one is to you, Mr. Curran. <coughs> Oh, the Second Amendment is hard for me because if you're really familiar with the Second Amendment, it defines me as three-fifths human. Now, there's been some statements I've made and I've gone back and like, wow, that wasn't very human of you, Tony. But I assure you, I am a human being. And when people say the Second Amendment remedies, dog whistle politics comes to my ear. We need to protect those of us who are the most vulnerable in our society. We need to make sure that society, if we are asking somebody to go in a war and die, that we make sure that and when you're a civilian, we give you all of the rights and protections that we can afford to you. We can't do that if we're constantly making our society less safe. I would tell people point blank, we need sensible gun laws, and we need it yesterday. Don't vote to make it even more dangerous. Ms. Levin. Um, I would completely agree that we need sensible gun laws. What I would tell my voters is that they should attend one of the Moms Demand Action Against Violence presentations on um, this particular topic on the um, strict scrutiny amendment, as it's been called. Um, I've learned a lot about specifically this type of amendment from those presentations and from those incredibly dedicated individuals on this topic. Um, what I would tell them is the strict scrutiny clause specifically is a dangerous way to ensure that common sense gun legislation is off the table. That's what I would tell them. If you vote no on this, we can still talk about common sense gun legislation. If you vote yes, we're not even gonna be talking about it. Thank you. And despite my sincere temptation to try and get one more in here, I believe we're at time for closing statements, so let us move to those. Uh, remember, you have two minutes for your closing statements, and let's start with you, Mr. Curran. Thank you so much for your time tonight, everyone. Um, to do really Herculean efforts in government, in life, in anything, it always begins with showing up and taking that first step. And that, I believe, is what we are doing when we go to forums and we come out for ourselves to investigate and be concerned minds. Please understand that we are at a precipice here. All of the questions were 
one question. Where do we go from here, community or chaos? I am not a civil engineer, but I could probably say uh, with uh, what was going on with world pandemics, global pandemics, um, looking at overturning protections that have protected vast swaths of society, whether it is voting rights for blacks or uh, access to health care for women. Um, we are actually looking at all the same problem. Are we undoing the underpinnings of our society that keep us civil? Are we careening towards January 6th, 2021, every day of our lives? Martin Luther King Jr. said, all that evil needs to prevail is for good citizens to stand by and do nothing. We have to choose to take a different trajectory. I ask for your vote so that I can make more Democrats, so that we can start to have the power to actually say no to this behavior and get us back and we can have Iowa back again. We can do this. I'm Tony Curran for District 89. I would love your vote. Tony in the house. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Levin, your statement. Whether you vote by mail, which request forms are already available through the editor's office website, whether you vote at a satellite voting location early or go right into the auditor's office to vote early. By the way, one of the satellite voting uh, locations is right in the South District on June 5th, Sunday, June 5th, from 9 to 3. That is at Dream City, formerly the Kingdom Center. Whether you vote in person on Election Day on June 7th, vote. And don't vote alone. The people who show up to these things, the people who view these things, have the power to raise turnout. And that is the most important thing we can do every time we have the opportunity to exercise our right to vote. Show up and offer to drive somebody else. Take a picture at your polling location and tell somebody, I voted, did you? Please, it is the best thing we can do for the improvement of our state. On that day, whatever day it is that you choose to vote, I ask that you consider compassion. I ask that you consider me. I ask that you give me your vote so that I can represent District 89 in the Iowa House of Representatives. Eleanor A. Levin, consider compassion. Thank you. Thank you to our candidates. Thank you to those of you who are attending. y'all and friends don't let friends vote alone <laughs> well thank you also to those of you who are in attendance those of you who are watching at home uh, as well as to the senior center excuse me to the center staff and our local television stations for making this video cast and live streaming possible uh, on May 9th, there will be two additional forums, candidates for the Democratic primary for Johnson County supervisor seats and for state, for state Senate District 45 will be he held at the Center Assembly Room, 28 South Lynn Street in Iowa City, where we are now, I believe. 
The Johnson County Supervisor Forum will begin at 6 o'clock, and the State Senate District 45 Forum will begin at 7 o'clock. We would like to remind you that the views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates, and that sponsorship of this forum is not an endorsement of any candidate. Remember to vote for the primary on or before June 7th, and good night. <laughs>